0: You're listening to The Outspoken Bible, a podcast from Scottish Bible Society with Fiona Stewart, Neil Glover and Jen Robertson. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 5 of The Outspoken Bible. I'm Fiona Stewart. I'm joined by Jen Robertson and Neil Glover. How are you both today?
1: We're, we're good. Well, I'm a bit sore. I've had my boosters.
2: Oh, oh, have no? you? Oh, really? That was yeah. quick.
1: Yeah, because of because of the cancer, uh-huh. yeah, I'm ah, on a okay. list. Good, oh, great. But yeah, but sore. I had my flu jag at the same time, so I did not oh, know yeah. which one's causing it. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, are you having difficulty lifting your arm up? That was my problem when yeah, I had. My- yeah, just a bit sore, just <laughs> <it's> a bit <laughs> achy yeah, I mean, I don't want to. I mean, it's not
1: that bad. Yeah. Um. You know, I'm still hopefully podcast fit, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if anybody's debating whether to have your booster. Yeah. Have your booster.
2: Yeah, get it, get it, in you. Jen, how are you? I'm very well. I'm going to get my flu jag on Saturday because I don't really want to get it at the same time as my COVID booster, (laughs) uh, which will be in December. I thought I don't really want double vaccination just before Christmas, very selfishly. So I'm just going to pay and get my flu jag first. And if, I, and if I get the flu before Saturday, that'd be a bit unfortunate.
0: Yeah, it really would be. That's that's very true. Well, thank you very much. I, I hadn't realised you were both going to go into such medical detail of your lives, but thank you for that. You can't. I mean, if you ask me
1: how we are, you know, I'm not going to glibly pass over such an event.
0: I thought you were just going to say, fine, thanks.
1: I know. I've got a guy in my party. She says, the answer to that question is always Fine.
0: Excellent. Well, we're getting straight into things today because there has been no correspondence, sadly, oh, this please. time. I know. What's the email address? The email address is outspoken at scottishbiblesociety dot org. However, however, I did have lunch yesterday with my very old friend Michael Duncan. Well, he's not he's not very old, but he's been a friend of mine for a long time. Uh, Michael Duncan. Apparently, he listens. Now, this is going to be the test of it because if he really listens, then he'll realise he's got a name check. But if he doesn't listen, then. He was just being polite but apparently he enjoys listening to us very much he finds it really helpful so that that was my little booster for the week um but
1: there, are, we, there are people yeah. who come in and out yes I, I speak to people who listen for us for that word season <laughs> and, and then come out so if that's you and you haven't been yeah. if you've been away for a while um welcome back yeah
0: absolutely absolutely and actually I'm okay with people coming in the next that's what I do all the time to with podcasts so before we start just a quick reminder that you can order your christmas resources from sbs by going to scottish.bible forward slash christmas i think things at time of recording are sitting in the distribution center they're ready to go out so by the time this lands in your in your podcasting platform inbox um these resources will be readily available. And you'll find links at Christmas to Christmas Journeys Family Resources. There's the Advent Reader and there's also a new Gospel of John called Light and Life. And, uh, Jen, apparently there's a rumour that there's a social media video of you somewhere
2: explaining how to use the resources. Yes, there is. Um, Just Christmas Journeys, because that's my thing. Um, So it just shows you the pack, opens it up and you see all the sticky stars and the activity cards and... It's always nice to see something before you buy. So yeah, that'll be out and about there. Fantastic. So <laughs> you can find all that on that website. And don't forget, obviously, we would love to hear from you.
0: So the email address for that, outspoken at scottishbiblesociety.org. Anyway, without further ado, I think it is time for Glovers. Oh,
1: Lovers off this week. I am so looking forward to doing it. It is about the home of Vida bread and potatoes, cheese and onion crisps and potato scones. The place that has a spa shop on every street it would appear. It's the place where RA levels are harder than the English ones. It's Northern Ireland. I love Northern Ireland. Lived there from 1997 to 2001 and went back two weeks ago for the first time in four years. And I was just so moved. I landed at Belfast International Airport, which I used to land at every week. And, oh, I just was, I just loved being there again. Um, I i love the people. I love the welcome, the friendliness. I love the creativity. I love the fact that literally it is a place which is bathed in the scriptures and i know the story of that is controversial and has different sides to it but i'd forgotten what it was like to drive past farmers fields with a uh, scripture verses uh, planted right in the middle of them of course northern ireland um this year marks a hundred years i say marks for some people that's a celebration for some people it's it's a more difficult thing 100 years since northern ireland uh, may 1921 and um our Our Christianity comes from Northern Ireland. It comes uh, from Ninian, who we don't know much about Ninian, but probably was Irish and probably the same person as a Finian of Clonard, possibly. And we know that uh, Columba embarked from the north coast of Ireland when he brought um, Christian faith or the news of the gospel to the northern parts of, of Scotland, and that continues to, to be the case. Northern Irish culture infuses and enriches ours so much. There are Northern Irish families in the churches in Aberfeldy who make such a difference. There are artists, people like John Plunkett or Ryan Hannigan or Foy Vance who live in, in Aberfeldy. All sorts of different people have enriched uh, our our faith. I don't know, Jen and Fiona. Have you been influenced by people from Northern Ireland?
0: Yeah, I was at university with a lot of people from Northern Ireland. I shared a flat with two of them. And yeah, I guess I have. And yeah, yeah, because I, th- I suppose that at the time, yeah, I mean, we're all of about the same age, and, and at that point, there were a lot of people who would come out of Northern Ireland to study. Actually, because yeah. it was it was during the troubles and it was difficult, and so yeah, I had a lot of lot of good friends at uni, um, and,
1: and a lot beyond. of them stayed and mm-hmm. have transferred. I mean, the Scottish Church would be so much the poorer if it wasn't for people who had come here from from Northern Ireland, from the home of Finn McCool and the Titanic and the home of the crack. <laughs> it's Northern Ireland, a place I deeply love and I am so grateful for. So this week, uh, Glover's Off is Northern Ireland. It's brilliant. Go there if you've never been.
2: Can I mention my Northern Ireland friend? Oh, yes. I have a friend called Chris Sampson, who's from Northern Ireland. He's yeah. in my home church. He's married to Carlin. I think Carlin listens to the podcast. I'm not sure if Chris does. And he's a brilliant musician and singer. And he does wonderful music for our messy church. So I, I'd like Chris to get a mention. Chris, and he's from
1: Northern Chris Ireland. the dentist.
2: He's, he's
1: a, a dentist. dentist, yeah. Yeah. It's all. Yeah. Nor- Northern Ireland, what a fantastic place. Clovers off this week. Northern I mean,
0: Ireland. Neil, if it doesn't work out with the ministry, you could get a job with the tourist board. <laughs> <That's> fabulous. <laughs> Very good. Um, just a side note, has anybody caught up with Sacred Islands with Ben Fogel yet?
1: Not. Yeah, I People keep it. telling me.
2: I think you'd enjoy it. I think you'd enjoy it. Just I was thinking about that when you're talking about Ninian. It made me want to have a chat with Ben. I wanted to talk to him about stuff because I thought, yeah, you need a, you need a different perspective here, baby. Do you or think? Po- well, it was when he kept saying um, why people came why like um, Christians came to the islands is because of the place itself but the, there was there was a purpose in them coming and yes. why they stayed and, and what they did and And I really like his style and and it's very beautifully filmed but I, I just wanted to have a conversation with him that'd be but, nice but I felt the whole the whole programme all four programmes it was conversation which I thought was really yeah.
0: I thought yeah. that was fascinating some, yes. of, the, some yes. of the things people were saying to him which were yeah. T- doing that Jen
2: that, that's why I was I, and I suppose well I suppose I know I know people in the places he went and he didn't speak to them and I'd like to have spoken to them like Lindsay Schluter who's the Church of Scotland minister in Barra maybe maybe she didn't want to speak but I'd like to have heard from Lindsay that would be great
0: yeah well worth worth checking out lovely thank you very much today we have reached the book of Nehemiah and uh, we're working our way as we, we have been through the post-exilic is that the word books
1: yes post-exilic yeah. books post-exilic <laughs>
0: Yes, thank That's you. That's a nice yeah. word. Yeah, exactly. And today we're looking at Nehemiah chapters one to seven. Next time we're going to we're gonna do the second half of the book. Uh, but I think this is probably the book in, in the ones that we're discussing that is most familiar to people, I would imagine. We've already mentioned it a few times. We've mentioned the character of Nehemiah a few times. But um, Neil, I, I'm loving your little summaries that we're getting at the beginning. So I wondered if you could kick us off with one of those, just giving us a bit of context for this book before we start to talk about how we've got on.
1: So th- the action now is happening in the year 445 BC and we know that because it's the 20th year of R.T. reign. There's a bit of uh, trouble reconciling the two months because the the month that's at the start of Nehemiah is Kislev and the start, that the, later on it mentions Nissan, is happening later on. And the, the problem is that Kislev comes after Nissan, so people have wondered about it. Anyway, I, I think one way around it is to say that the Kislev, the first one's in 4-1 one in uh, the 19th year of the reign, and then the next one's in the 20th. But yeah, we are four We're, 445. we're um, over 100 years after the exile. We're uh, almost 100 years since the, the first return, um, and and people are still struggling to try and get back to the land. So that's where we are. It's four four five B.C.? And we begin in in uh, Babylon.
0: So, in, in what we've been we've been talking about. So, we, we've talked about Zerubbabel. We've we've thought about him as being the kind of the, the the temple builder. We've then last time touched on Ezra and talking about the Torah and the uh, the word and the discovery of all of that. And then with Nehemiah, we're we're kind of moving on to, to talk about the the walls and the city, aren't we?
1: Yes. So Nehemiah is really about building the wider community. the The temple is now established, and it's about the wider community. But as we we discover. You you can't deal with the religious stuff in isolation. It radiates out and, and the and the two need each other. The the temple needs a community and the community needs a temple.
0: And at the start of next time, am I right in saying Ezra and Nehemiah, we're going to get them in the same place?
1: They're going to get them together at last.
0: So it's it's like the next plot twist of the adventure, that's fantastic. Thanks, Neil, that's really helpful. Jen, how did you get on with the, the sort of straight reading of the seven chapters? What's your perspective on Nehemiah?
2: I think I come to Nehemiah with bit of a a heavy heart. <laughs> I don't. I didn't really want to read Nehemiah, and I was I was trying to work out why I felt like that. And I think because oh, probably the early nineties, maybe late eighties, it seemed to be a bit of an overkill on Nehemiah. Like everywhere I went, there was like, "Oh, we're looking at Nehemiah and how to be a leader," and then there was a John White book which yes. on Nehemiah leadership. I'm, I'm sure it's a very worthy book, but I just seemed to be. I just seem to be bombarded by like, you have to be like Nehemiah, which I probably didn't relate to in any way whatsoever as a emerging leader. Would that be the right word? And so I, I've, I've also got this kind of baggage about Nehemiah. So I, it was lovely to come and read Nehemiah again. And that is awful, isn't it? That maybe I haven't actually read Nehemiah for all those years. Um, it's a bit older, you know, and understanding the kind of leader that God wants me to be. And I, I suppose looking back, the problem again is, which we often do, is we, we make the per, the person the focus of our Bible teaching rather than what we find out about God in this book of the Bible. So I actually had a really good time reading it because I think I saw things in a different way. Maybe, maybe there were things that were mentioned before, but uh, when I was younger, but I, I just, I was pleased I'd read it and I was really excited about it and lovely things about, particularly in chapter five, where Nehemiah stands up against his leadership enables him and puts him in the place to stand up against poverty and slavery and powerlessness and he he changes the way the community works and so the people are set free from the, the, the bad governance that was going on and I, I don't think I'd ever thought about that before as a leader and, and that role as a leader to, to speak out against injustice, so that was good and also the way he prayed, he just he didn't, I just prays to God uh, while things are going on and how how I long, I long for that uh, personally just to have that conversation with god in the situations that i find myself in and, and i think i'd and i love there's lovely moments i hadn't noticed before of the perfume makers and the priests working together on their bit of the wall um it's, it's not a division between oh you're you're the people doing the in our culture it would be you're the people doing the the catering ministry and we're doing the word ministry mm-hmm. you know like they're they're together doing it that was good great
0: yeah yeah I, no, I, well, I really resonate with what you. I really resonate with what you said there because I think, yeah, I was thinking about that John White book as well, and we. I think I've mentioned this before, but we've been studying Nehemiah in our missional community this term, so I've had a bit of an advance, bit of homework being done, and and one of the things that's really struck me, chapter five was was one of the examples of this, was I, I realized that my whole understanding of the book of Nehemiah had very much been shaped by that uh that theme of of leadership and how to be a great leader and finding the, finding the parallels and drawing that drawing the things out and f- discovering your strategy and actually there's a lot more in the book and and actually i found this conversation we've been ha- having about ezra but um the the prophets has been really helpful in making me read with more of a i suppose a bit of skepticism about nehemiah so so is he always doing the right thing you know, because because it, 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 it again, I think sometimes when I was younger, that, that book was set up as well. Nehemiah, I clearly he gets it right all the time. Um,
1: can I can I just yeah. ask? I haven't read that John White book, and I mean I haven't you, read it you, for about twenty five years, Neil. So so <laughs> Don't ask it's specifics. interesting. So <laughs> what we're dealing with is your memory, your yes. residual memory of yes. that book. Yes. What are the specific points where where it's where it's different? In in your memory, I,
0: well, I I think it's not different. It's called Excellence in Leadership, and actually, I think it's not that it's different. And it's actually, I remember it being a quite a significant book and a helpful book for me. But I think obviously, what he does, it's not a commentary on Nehemiah. What he's doing is he takes out particular um, themes around leadership, uh-huh. and then he uses the book to you know to, to explore those themes. So I, I suppose it's not it's not so much. It's not a criticism of John White's book. It's a criticism of my reading of Nehemiah because I think I had
2: not delved deeper into the text itself yeah. the sub the subtitle for excellence in leadership which i don't think i'd ever known before i've just looked it up is reaching goals with prayer courage and determination i think that sums that
0: sums up quite quite a lot of what i've yeah been trying to say there and i
2: think that? for me what i was gonna start the memory is nehemiah and uh-huh. not and not Nehemiah's, not Nehemiah's relationship with God, or, or what God is doing in this situation, or, the, or, or Nehemiah's relationship with the people. I'm sure that was all there. Yes. But I'm just, I'm just, I was left with this negative view of Nehemiah because I couldn't achieve who he was, and, and I think that is a, a reminder for all of us as we engage with all characters in the Bible that the, these, these are people like us, you know, who get it wrong, I, I, and the question is, what therefore are we trying to learn when we engage? With any any character in the Bible,
0: yeah, and we might come back to that next time, I think, because you know, even even the excellence in leadership, you know, a- what was it aiming for? Reaching goals with prayer, courage, and determination. Yeah, reaching goals. Actually, yeah. I mean, there's an argument, isn't there, that that for Nehemiah, it all sort of peters out towards the end, and uh, would he have felt he'd reached his goal? I mean, yes, he'd rebuilt the walls, but it's yeah. yeah, interesting, isn't it?
1: He rebuilds the walls in 52 days, and then the other stuff happens about 12 years later. You're wondering what what goes on.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fascinating. Now, I'm very interested in Sanballat and Tobiah.
1: The enemies. I'm, I'm
0: just intrigued. I I I didn't have time to really do too much research to find out much about what their historical background is. What's their beef? Why are they so negative?
1: It's a it's a fear of loss of power, isn't it? It's a uh... It, but their their approach is quite subtle. They try to be Nehemiah's friends, and and are these present as that, and and Nehemiah susses it out. And I, I suppose, you know, a lot of us, if we had been in Nehemiah's position, would have gone, "Oh yes, please do come. We're having a meeting next next Thursday at seven o'clock. All are welcome." Yes. <laughs> <laughs> More cake. We would
0: say in that tone.
1: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and and he doesn't and i think he's a he's a very shrewd judge of character here and he spots that the posture is one of cooperation but the intent is is one of of undermining what's trying to be achieved he i I think he it's because he has a very very clear idea of of what he is hoping to do which is to rebuild these walls and he, he won't be distracted. And his judgment is borne out because they, they then turn hostile.
2: Yeah. But then, were they not hostile right away in chapter two? Yes, it's revealed to us, isn't it? They're Before vi- he even goes out. They're, vi- they're, they're very not happy. Yeah. And they made fun of us. And what are you doing? And then later on, they invite, they, they, they invite him for dinner.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> Come and have a meal with us because we want to make up and we want to help. Um, and then they kind
0: of draw. they they do that thing don't they where they draw others into their into their disgruntlement as well
2: yeah I I was struck by that there was people that it it wasn't all I hadn't thought realised before there was people who were sort of in the community with Nehemiah who were part of the trying to get trying to undermine him and get rid of him but again as you say Neil that wisdom comes through Mm -hmm. of thinking through and and there was a a point when Nehemiah pondered I hadn't noticed that before (laughs) I love the word pondering and the bit in the bible that i most remember is when in mary ponders and treasures all these things in her heart when jesus is born but there's nehemiah pondering and i think we just need to do that more i need to do that more often not always just oh yeah that that's the thing to do but taking that time
1: i think that's interesting i think nehemiah is a book about walls it's a book about gates and we'll maybe come to that later on but it's also a book about foundations but but not so much physical foundations as a rootedness in two things and that and they are I, I mean it's kind of almost seems obvious to say it's a rootedness first of all in scripture where Nehemiah in chapter one is he really draws, and it's really an exegesis of Deuteronomy, it's a, it's a reading of Deuteronomy, and particularly he remembers that the exile is framed as a as a punishment for wickedness, and particularly the, the wickedness of Israel is one of unfaithfulness to Yahweh, to God. It, it's that they have no longer identified their primary relationship as, as being one of dependency on God. It's the first commandment, ultimately, is the one which is broken, and the second, the one about loving God and the the, the idolatry. And and he remembers that. He remembers that the, the exile is a, is a punishment for that. But then he also remembers Deuteronomy 30, which says that if you're in the land and you call out to me, in other words, to re-establish that relationship again, then I will bring you back. So he is First of all, reframing and rooting everything in a foundation of of a scriptural promise from God. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing he does, of course, is he prays and he frequently prays throughout the book. And it's those two foundations, which take far longer than the actual building of the wall. These foundations probably are built over specifically over a period of four months, whereas the wall themselves are, are built over a period of 52 days. It's those foundations, which mean that when we come to Tobiah and Sanballat, nehemiah is ready he's able to withstand it's almost like a living enactment of of jesus's story of the two builders you know that that when you when you're building your foundation on rock then when the storm comes you're able to withstand so there is something about because nehemiah has the foundations in place he's then ready for Tobiah and sample
0: that's very interesting isn't it and i'm reluctant to jump straight to application having you know we've just talked about the, 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 the dangers of that with the john white book but but I suppose thinking about the, the current situation, when you're speaking, Neil, it's making me think about uh, the importance of hearing the the, the the voice of where we've come, the understanding of the heritage of where we've come and, and why we've ended up in some of the situations we've ended yeah. up in, rather yeah. than just a rejoicing in oh, what well, we've, we've, you know, here we are, we're all back together again. You know, insert your problem prior to that uh, and, and not taking account of what has gone before. That's, that, I thought that's very interesting.
1: I, I think that plays as well. I've, I've often used Nehemiah to think about how change works. And, well, J- Jen and I, we were, we were we were all talking about this beforehand, and, and Jen, please come in at this point. Uh, but one of the things that really strikes me is that Nehemiah spends quite a lot of time looking at where we are. And I think of some of the the change projects that I've been involved in the Church of Scotland, where sometimes we've come unstuck because we were so focused on where we wanted to get to. A friend of mine used to call the target operating model that we forgot about where we were, which he used to call the current operating model. And the most successful ones I've been involved in have been the ones where people have spent quite a lot of time thinking about, this is where we are now. And then that allows you to, to move on. And that's, ex- I think, a lot of times about that thing where Nehemiah goes around the walls at night and looks at the holes in the walls. He's analyzing and thinking very carefully, where are we now? And then having shared that, he he is in a position to go forward. William Bridges in his book on uh, transitions, which is rooted a lot actually in the Exodus story, he says that one of the mistakes that leaders make when they try to sell change is they spend 90% of the time talking about uh, the solution that they, they want to go for. And he almost bring up this whole thing about this fait accompli. He said, people should spend 90% of their time talking about the problem and sharing the problem. And then having done that, what you get is everybody then draws together and trying to find the solutions. And I think this is what, what happens with Nehemiah? You get this, this sharing of the problem, and then this distributed approach to to solving it, where everybody takes their own bit of the wall on board.
0: And that, I mean, that goes right back to chapter one too, doesn't it? <laughs> chapter one also, <laughs> in that it's not just when he arrives in Jerusalem that that he has that, but that there's that sense that he there's talk. So he, there's talk, and he hears this is how the situation is, and then he prays into the situation, and he looks for the opportunity. You know, there's a real steadiness, isn't there, to how he and
2: reality about how he approaches the situation yeah he needs to he he needs to be there he couldn't have done it from a distance he needs to be with the people and see what's going on and know them and i mean that's a, the thing about nehemiah's prayer in chapter one is is a very clear association with God's people, he's, he's not detached from it. And the bit when he goes round the gates at night time, I, I just loved the detail in that and how it was so rooted in a place and time. And I was imagining, you know, I live in Rutherglen, so it'd be like, you know, I went down past Tesco and then I turned left and I went through Stone Law Woods and I walked around Overton Park. And and each place and time where we live is is the physical, that that built and natural environment that we live in. And there's something about in a in a leadership context as you're talking about neil and that the change thing you've got to know your place and your time you're going to know your culture and i think i'm very aware of that as working with scottish bible society and it, it ties in really with the christmas resources particularly the the family resources that we produce for this year they seem similar to last year but they're not they're different because we're in a different time and and it's knowing what we did last year with the christmas windows was relevant for that place and time and now and you need to keep on being aware, and, and, you, and it's not always easy to do understanding your culture, but and it takes work, and it, it you need to you can't you can't be monastic. I mean, the monasticism has a place, but you, you need to be part of of what's going on and keeping that critical eye. Part of what can be concerns me is, as you've been talking about, you know, about leaving behind what we where we've been because of lockdown. Is that we produce family resources at SBS because we believe that we want families to chat about the bible in a natural way like we chat about anything else and i think last year lots of churches maybe and people can challenge me this in the email lots of churches maybe gave families resources because they had to you know but we can't be together as a church community so we'll give these to the families because that's what we need to do just now but actually we i believe we believe that having resources for families is a really good thing irrespective of what's going on so it's yeah, that's that's two things there, isn't it? It's knowing your culture, but also knowing what will what will work in many contexts.
1: I I want to bring in at this point. We talk about being rooted in the past and rooted in the present. The, the The person I've been thinking about a lot as we've we've looked at Nehemiah has has been George MacLeod, the founder of the Iona Community. Now, I want to just put out a little prejudice removal speech at the moment. In the history of the Church of Scotland. Sometimes George MacLeod, or in the Scottish Church, has been bracketed as being this mad left winger way out there. He was once criticised for being halfway to Rome and halfway to Moscow, and actually, if you read his true story, he was at heart. His biographer says this: he was at heart an evangelical. He fundamentally believed simply in that confronting people with the truth of Jesus Christ and being forgiven in grace by Him, and he loved to do it. He often preached open air in Govan, but he was totally rooted in the story of Columba and of Celtic Christianity and of the Christ of, of all things. He was utterly passionate. That, that he has a wonderful prayer about the rocks pulsate and and Iona being a thin place and Christ being everywhere. But he utterly believed that. He, he believed that, that there was nowhere where Christ was not. So when he became uh, rector of Glasgow University, he gave this big speech about the problem with universities was they had not located Christ in the centre of all that they did. I mean, can you imagine that in a secular university? He said they had forgotten theology, the Queen of the Sciences. And and yet he he was a builder. He, um, apparently he was utterly useless at practical things, but he was a builder. He rebuilt not the sanctuary of Iona Abbey. That had already been rebuilt by the Duke of Argyll by the time he arrived. He rebuilt the living quarters. He rebuilt community. He, his most famous, one of his most famous talks was called Sermon in Stone. And all through that time he was negotiating some of the compromises that Nehemiah had here. George uh, Nehemiah, of course, has to work with the kings of Persia. Famously, George MacLeod, the lifelong or pacifist he fought in the First World War, but after that he became a pacifist. And uh, he got the majority of his initial funds for the building of Ion Abbey from a man who built battleships. He was he was willing to, to negotiate all sorts of compromises. He said, I'm always willing to use the devil's money for good purpose. And and he, he was a he was a builder and it was rooted in his understanding of God and it was full of miracles. There's a wonderful story in the middle of the Second World War. He carried on rebuilding the Abbey, much criticism, but he said the reason was in the First World War, people were not ready for community after the war ended and he was going to make sure that people were ready to build community when the war ended. So they carried on building through the war. But it meant they had no wood. So they prayed and famously... Uh, they, they'd they run out of wood for the chapter house. Famously, there was a, a freighter crossing the North Atlantic, uh, hit a storm, and had to get rid of all its deck cargo and uh, all the deck cargo floated hundreds of miles down the Atlantic, landed on the coast of, of Mull, just opposite Iona, and uh, the, the word got out and the, the people from the community went over to collect the wood. It was all exactly the right length, exactly the right amount of wood. And George MacLeod famously said, if you think that's a coincidence, I hope you have a dull life.
0: <laughs> that's good,
1: yeah, that's um, good. But, but, he, but the reason I bring up, A George McLeod, is he said that every community to be built needed a demanding common task. And this is what we we see. He he rooted his building of community fundamentally in his understanding of the story of God, which is what we see in Nehemiah. His story was full of attacks and opposition and misunderstandings. And once again, we see that in the story of, of Nehemiah. But fundamentally, he came with a vision and he came with hope. And I think when in our country now, where we think of rebuilding the church, we need to recapture that framing of our own story and God's Mm -hmm. story. We need that framing of hope. We need that willingness to work long, long and hard to rebuild. And when we get to the end of it, yes, we have walls, but the even better thing we have at the end of it is a story. Mm. We have a story of how God was with us and God changed us and shaped us.
2: You've reminded me, Neil, of a book uh, that I'd forgotten about and I shouldn't have forgotten. It's called Seven Sacred Spaces by George Lings. I don't know if MD has read it. It's when you were talking about the chapter house at Iona. Mm. And um, George talks, it's it's about a deeper community life in Christ and he takes the seven spaces in a monastery and he Mm. connects them to what our life in Christ should be like. So uh, the cell is being alone with God. The chapel is where public worship happens. Uh, The chapter house is where we make decisions. The cloister is where, he says, planned and surprising meetings happen. Uh, The garden is where we do our work. The refectory is where we have food and hospitality. And the scriptorium is when we study and pass on the knowledge of the scriptures. Um, But it's a beautiful description of what... Our community should be not because of the physical building, but of the connection between the people. And I was struck by Nehemiah for the first time again, as you've said that at the end, when there's that big list of people in chapter seven, the last chapter that we've read for today, it's all these lists of people and lots of donkeys again. Uh, interesting. A lot um, of donkeys. Sorry. Yeah. It, it I, is, I mean, that. a huge amount of donkeys compared to other animals. That's um, what I <laughs> But the city is for the people. And and it's a, for worshipping, for living, for loving, for creating and for just being. And, and I never thought about that before. I thought it was just like, well, let's get these walls built up because of my bad experience of Nehemiah. Uh, but this city is being built so there'll be a, a worshipping community of God's people. Which which I think is why everybody works
0: on their own bit as well.
1: Mm. <laughs> you know, So yeah. the
0: goldsmiths might not have been that good at stonework and the perfume perfumers probably even less but I, I think there's something that, they, that it's their bit of the city so when they look out on that bit of wall that's mm. that's the bit mm. of wall that their family has built and there's something quite beautiful about that I was thinking about the word communitas so so you know that idea that community you can't really make community happen but you really community forms when you've got a common goal I thought that was really really interesting in what you said about George Macleod there uh, and, and and sometimes maybe we make community the goal rather than listening for what what the oh, goal yeah. is and yeah. then and then the community yeah. forms around that wash yeah. the dishes together uh-huh then you community is created but, uh-huh.
1: but you can have this thing where bonhoeffer talked about this where if you have if people who love the idea of community more than the people of the community yes. are a great harm to the community that's right yeah.
0: yes yeah
1: and, and yeah. I, I don't want to i always i i live in attention about this about how do we locate jesus in the old testament because i i sometimes hate the way it's done so clunkily but you're talking about donkeys in Jerusalem. I, where else does my money go? You know that. Of, I I love the the whole image that Christ loved the city, mm-hmm. and then he died for it. And and what Nehemiah does is he loves the, he loves the people of this. He loves God, and because he loves God, he loves the city. Yeah, the cities are important. You're back to George MacLeod again. with That famous story he told of of a boy who threw a stone at the stained glass window of a church at the exact point where it said glory to God in the highest and the E in highest dropped out. So it now read glory to the God in the high street. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I, He loves the city. Yes. Cities are so important. Yeah. Yes,
0: and that brings back, because we've talked before, haven't we, about uh, Garden to City, Garden City, yeah. which is the John Mark Comer book, isn't it? Where it's it's tracing the story of, of scripture be, as being, the building of the city is actually very important in, yeah, in all yeah. of that. And that, I think that that's a hopeful thing to think about, given that we live in a time when more people than ever are urbanised
1: mm-hmm. yeah,
0: globally. Yeah. It's, a, it's a vast and, number, is And, isn't and cit-
2: it? cities are negatively talked about, aren't they? Rather yeah. than yeah. rejoiced in. Yes, they know, are. Get mm-hmm. out of the city, get away, and, mm-hmm. and even more so, and partly because of COVID and lockdown, you know, we don't need to live in cities and what's going to happen to our cities, our beautiful cities where people mm. are and live and do, mm-hmm. do what we do. Yeah. Well, and, and then, yes. And then the rich, poor divide yeah. comes into that. Too that's right. That's right.
0: Yeah. It's those who can afford to move out. Um, can I, can we talk about uh, the gates and the gates and the walls, Neil? Cause you, you, you said we might talk about that later on. What, 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 yes. what did you so, have in mind? There?
1: Famously, Nehemiah is about walls. But he's not just about walls. He's not just about barriers. He's also about gates. And any ethnic construction an ethne in anthropological terms, it's a, a French word, E-T-H-N-I-E. It's often you know, taken from it based on the Greek word ethnos. Any ethnic, according to the anthropologist Frederick Bart, and other anthropologies are available, but I'm going to talk about Frederick Bart's at the moment, he said that an ethne requires walls, gates, and an internal sense of what its values are. And um, the, 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 the walls are the places that you can't cross. So that's how the, the ethne protects itself and maintains its its boundaries. And you could say this about communities as well. Communities need boundaries. If, you, if a community has no boundaries, it will cease to exist as a community. So you need some form of boundary. You need gates. These are the place where you interact with the world. And of course, Nehemiah doesn't just build walls, he builds gates. And also there are other gates. We we will read later on how it people from the different nations found their seat um, at Nehemiah's table. We discovered that people traded and all that Nehemiah was worried about was don't trade on the Sabbath, but the other six days, feel free to trade. So there has to be point of interaction. And then internal values need to be held. So that's why one of the things where Nehemiah is appalled at the exploita- exploitation of of the people, and so I, th- I think that that if we just construct Nehemiah as one who builds barriers, we misunderstand what he's about. He is also someone who builds gates and and places of interaction. Um, so, and and this this is a thoroughly contemporary question it, one could argue that the whole question of Brexit is a question about where are the walls going to be, where are the gates going to be, and what are going to be the internal values that that brand Britain, for want of a better world, yeah. word, holds to. And once again, for for churches and, and other communities, the question are where, are where are our walls, where are our gates, and what are our internal values? So I think there's something very important here about how both countries and communities are constructed.
0: And it, maybe I'm just overstating it, but it feels to me as though it, globally we, we are addressing, we're facing that question more mm. acutely probably than we have done,
2: uh, certainly in my lifetime, I would say. So it says a lot to, sorry, Jen, you were going to say just I was just wondering, it's a bit of a practical question maybe Neil can answer because I've kind of forgotten. Um, of all the gates, which gate did Jesus enter into on the said donkey? And is there a significance in that gate?
1: Oh, no, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I can't remember. Okay. Does it mention what gate he comes through? Maybe it doesn't. I mean, he obviously. I mean, famously, the the, the eye of the needle, the camel gate. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, that's made up. Uh, that's oh, really? The, yeah, I think so. I was waiting an excuse. I don't know. I'd have to check. Covid's about gates and barriers as well, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, what yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, passports
2: and who's letting in? Whom? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, um, I don't know. About, anyway, don't we'll, know. we'll go away and ponder on that. Yeah, yeah, that, no, and I think someone
1: will know it. Write to us. Yes. What's the address? Yes, outspoken Bible. Outspoken
0: at, at no. Outspoken, outspoken at Scottish Bible Society.org. There
1: we go. Please tell us which gate. <laughs> William Wilson, if you're listening. Yeah, exactly. He'll,
0: he'll know the answer to that question. Exactly. Um, great. So, so, walls and gates um, and an internal sense of who you are. Yeah. And what about hope?
1: Oh, yes. So, once again, they're inspired by the whole climate conversation at the moment, so Catherine Hayhoe, who is a, a very strongly identifies herself as an evangelical Christian, is also probably the one of the world's leading atmospheric scientists. And she is frequently gives talks to all sorts of groups, church groups, uh, particularly in our, our home state of Texas in the United States, um, often to people who are sceptical um about um climate change and she because she's a scientist monitors which questions she gets asked by the audience so she can begin to map where people's concerns are and over the last four to five years she has noticed that the question which is bubbling up more and more with respect to to the climate emergency is the question where is the hope and she, she says, firstly, this is, this is very interesting because if you go in as a scientist and try to scare people and say, you know, the ice caps are going to melt, the polar bears are not going to have anywhere to live, all of which are true, she, she says, but you paralyze people. What people need to know is is hope. And, and, and very often she says climate is depicted or climate change is depicted as if we are trying to push this massive, massive boulder up a very, very steep hill. And there's only two or three people who are trying to push on that boulder. You know, Al Gore's there and Jane, maybe Jane Goodall. And that's, you know, Greta Thunberg. And that's it. She said, It's completely different from that. She said there are millions of people pressing that boulder up the hill and the boulder is already a long, long way up the hill. She says in her own state of Texas, um, the renewables, the largest naval, uh, largest army base, Fort Worth, is 43% powered by renewables. Uh, Houston, the oil capital of the world, is... is going to meet as paris climate uh, targets that there is lots and lots of hope she's and in terms of renewables in terms of attitudes and a, she notes that the whole point of hope is it's forged in a place of difficulty and struggle and yeah. of apparent hopelessness apparently according to surveys one of the most hopeful times of human history when at least when we could measure these things was the london blitz yeah and all I would, The connection I would make with Nehemiah here is that as he arrives in Jerusalem, all the laborers are there, all the materials are there, but what is missing is hope. And that is what he brings in his journey from the capital, from Susa, the capital of Persia, to Jerusalem, the, the capital of, at least historically, and at, at that point of, of Israel. Hope is, is such an unbelievably powerful thing and when it is rooted in god you see a city rebuilt so what it takes is hope
0: we we're recording during the um cop conference and and i've been quite struck by the by the the, the the way that people speak so i was listening to a little section of the obama speech the other day and interestingly I, you know obama's kind of known isn't he as, as the, the the person who who talked about hope back when he was campaigning but but I felt his his tone started to feel a little bit like we need to try harder we need to work harder and I'm thinking that's not that's not appealing to me yeah,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> because I feel already I'm working quite hard of course I could work harder but actually that's that's not ever something that motivates me as an individual and do, yeah. you know so and, and quite often that that's the tone that, that we're hearing sometimes in the in some of the youth movement stuff as well I think Greta Thunberg she's she's very good at pointing out the problem sometimes I think it there's a simplistic tone to that mm.
1: um
0: and, and and what i would love to see her do is is to is to give people hope which is why i'm running my poems of hope competition through or not competition but my my thing through cop actually which jen has been participating in neil have you engaged with any of that
1: i haven't sorry haven't any <laughs>
0: poems for us
1: <laughs> no i need to actually my, my i mean life.
0: it genuinely is i mean i know it sounds a bit glib it's not it's not the same as a as a world-renowned climate um scientist but but i think there is something about people wanting to feel they can play their part and actually as you process something with a hopeful lens you begin to make sense of it in its reality
2: yeah. I, th- I think what what you're describing fiona is is that call to be part of something isn't it and call to be part of a community which you've done through the poems of hope and having i mean the things that have happened to me because i've taken part in that so you invited me into something that i could contribute to because of mm-hmm. the kind of person i am mm-hmm. and as i've written those poems of hope so every day you've given us a word that's connected to the cop 26 a conference and i've written about things i would never have expected to write about and i've yes. had to dig deep um to find out stuff about what i'm writing about so i have widened my knowledge of 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 some things about uh, renewable energy, but also about, about other. Th- I mean, I, I I wrote yesterday about um, white uh, white fronted geese <laughs> migrating from Greenland to Scotland, wh- which I love because they they come to Loch Ken in Galloway, and we spend lots of holidays in Galloway, and I become quite involved. I, I follow them on on social media. These geese as they go down the route, and it, it, the places I had to go in my mind and my reading to to do this poem. So you invited me into something, and I wrote something which gave me hope, and hopefully give other people hope. But if you just feel berated and weighed down, yeah, and, and Nehemiah did it as well because it's just a sense. I mean, they've all got swords in one hand and their trowels in the other, which I, I, we could have talked about, Hard to fight. about. Yeah. the violence thing going on. You know, get ready yeah. to fight, but and fight for your family. But everybody's part of it. They're all, they're all part of this community rebuilding. And when you're part of something like that, then. i'm trying to to put into words what that means but it changes your mindset and you it activates you doesn't it yes rather than just passively watching on or feeling overwhelmed yes i think that's it activates it's a good it's a good way of putting that yeah yeah people by the way can
0: still find those um you know obviously after after cops over they'll still be there so so you just have to follow the hashtag foolproof hope 26 or poem of hope is the other one but foolproof hope 26 would take you take you directly to that um, and there's, because there's been some beautiful work has come in on that actually.
1: Oh, um, I am. Mm-hmm. Hi, you say it's on social media, which social media is it? Facebook? Or is
0: it? Instagram and Facebook. Uh, a little bit on Twitter as well, but mostly on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, right. Facebook through the foolproof creative arts um, page and Instagram. Again, it's, it's really just following that hashtag and, uh, and you'll find the collection of things that way. Very good. So, Anything else we want to we want to throw in that we've not talked about? We've not talked about the meaning of Nehemiah's name. Neil, you were going to oh, it's simply that
1: that it means uh, the the joy of uh, God is my comforter. Yahweh is my comforter, and there's a there's a nice connection with um, Isaiah uh, uh, Isaiah 40, which is a great post-exilic call to return comfort comfort oh my people is also a great advent text so yes uh, nehemiah means a uh, god is comfort and it's a it's a kind of if i might use the term a muscular form of comfort it's a stone lifting form of comfort it's that sort of comfort that that makes a difference so yeah i, I like that as uh, nehemiah is an interesting form of comforter
0: and a stone lifting form of comfort would be useful if you were building a wall i would have thought yes indeed and we're trapped under the wall oh you were trapped under the wall indeed very much so and uh, just just a little <laughs> side note you uh, you mentioned Catherine Hayhoe and we, we've we've th- there is a series of of uh small group resources yep. is that right on the tier fund mm-hmm. website tier fund yep. Scotland website and uh, by her and introduced by Scottish Bible Society's very own Elaine Duncan yep go Elaine I didn't know that until this morning so that's that's exciting um so I think it's I don't think it's Elaine in conversation with her I think it's Elaine introduces each of these short questions. Videos and, and and then she she talks about the questions so people can trace those and we'll put a link to that in the show notes so as we bring things to a close
2: what would our takeaway be
0: for today it's something
2: you said fiona in in passing and maybe you may have to rephrase it if i've got it wrong but the the love of community or the idea of community being greater than the reality of community is that what you said well, I think I think it was a combination of things that I said and things that
0: Neil said. So so I was talking about communitas, the idea that that community is formed when you have a, a something to go after yeah. together. And then Neil, you, you then mentioned about the Bonnie Bonhoeffer. communi- Yeah, Bonhoeffers Quote. Yeah. What was this what was his Bonhoeffers
2: quote?
1: Those who love the idea yeah, of community so. more than they love the people of the community are a great harm to the community.
2: That that's my that's my challenge because. I think I think that's an easy thing to tip over into because if I love the idea of community more than I, I get more annoyed with people who I think may not be contributing to the community in the way they should be but if I if I love the people more then that'll be what matters my concern and care for them that, that was a, a it was a small moment in the podcast but it, it really struck
1: me I th- I think for me it's the relationship between the the, the spiritual, center of a community the spiritual focal point of community and the need for the community to exist in all its cityness and 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 gates and walls and so on and i love that thing that jen said about the the george Ling's book about the the abbey being a a reminder of of different places of our christian uh, lives what was that book called again jen seven
2: sacred spaces i think
1: i loved that That it's
2: on the it's available on the Bible reading fellowship website. Right. We'll put we'll put links to all the books that yeah. I've made a note of.
0: Books as I mentioned. It's, by the way, can I just say a total aside? It's costing me a fortune doing this podcast because every time we <laughs> record, I go away and I buy about three books afterwards. Um, yeah, I I would I would echo what you just said there. I, I, the gates, walls, and foundations thing I thought was really interesting, and the the sacred space thing is really interesting. And I think uh, I feel a little bit of a prompting to a fresh love of city and mm. and the role of city. Yeah. And what my role is in in the city in which I live
1: would be. Can I can I see one of my images of this week? We talked about a, it's on your Instagram, Fiona. It's the it combines some of the ideas of city and hope and earthiness. It's you on the cop. Uh, the climate march and you, you're you holding a thing a sign that says make it a fair cop I think is make what it says make it a fair it cop but your your face is just a picture I love it I love the expression I was on having your, a lovely time it's your happy but it also has a, a kind of impishness to it it's fantastic <laughs> love it so uh, that's on your Instagram
0: video footage courtesy of the lovely Crystal Pryor who was standing on the sidelines watching <laughs> filming that was fun. It was really fun, the March. Loved Good it. to be part of something huge. Um, Lovely. Well, thank you both very much. Uh, Jen, we're going to hear your gem just now, so I'll pass over to
2: you for that. Today, I want to recommend a book called How We Read the Bible uh, by Matt Laidlow. And if you've been listening to the podcast, and maybe this is the first time you've listened to it, and you think, how can I help... Uh, young people and all ages together have these kind of conversations with the Bible because it's not always that easy. Um, This is the book to get. And uh, Matt starts off by looking at a world map in his introduction, but it's not a a British-centric map. It's a Pacific-centric map. And from that, he takes the idea that we often come to the Bible in a sort of one-dimensional approach. And this book helps you to think wider than that. And he says at the start um, things like, you know, have you ever asked questions like, um, how do we move engaging the Bible to a spiritual experience rather than just an educational experience? Uh, what do you do with all the questions about the Bible that people ask Um is, is there more than one way of reading the Bible? And he does, each chapter looks at different ways of doing that. And he does some theology on it. And then he does some practical things. And it's it's about reimagining the Bible. And I wanted to just tell a wee story about reimagining the Bible from Sunday night with our with a group of young people who are 11 to 14 that I spend Sunday evenings with. And we were looking at the letter of Paul to Philemon. A very abstract letter to look at with young people. And the youth leader had set up this brilliant program for us. And the final thing we did was we imagined we were Philemon or Onesimus or One Simus, as the young people like to call them, okay, um, and we were responding to this letter and that Paul had written. And what happened next? Mm-hmm. And I was I was so excited by all the variety of responses. Like some of them were like Philemon, like no way, I'm not going to respond to what you're saying, Paul. Others were like you're being a bit harsh, Paul, but I know you love me and I want to change. And it was just a lovely, this is a simple idea of reimagining the Bible and some the Bible doesn't always have all the bits we need to get the whole story. So when you do that kind of exercise, it really helps. Mm. But if you want to think a bit more about that, how we read the Bible, Matt Laidlaw, well and worth he, a buy. Can, can I ask a question? Does he have practical examples like that of things you can do? Um, yeah, things he's done. Um, mm-hmm. Rather than, it's not. it's not a book of, like a resource book. It is a thinking how we do this book, but every chapter he gives an example from his own experience. Yeah. So he does one chapter, it's all about how he went to Palestine and how that experience of being there now impacts his youth ministry and how he uses the physical outdoor space uh, to help young people engage in the Bible. So that kind of thing, yep.
0: Thank you very much. Jen, that's fantastic. Thank you to both of you. Uh, Next time we're going to be talking about the rest of Nehemiah. So if you're reading ahead, then that's Nehemiah 8 to 13. So any questions about what you're reading, any pushback on anything we've said today, anything you'd like to talk to any of us about then, you know, preferably related to topic, then you can get in touch by emailing outspoken at org. And in the meantime, thank you very much to both of you. Thank you. Thank
1: you Fiona <laughs>
0: You're welcome Thank you to Amy for uh, engineering It's worth saying that Amy's sitting on in today but uh, from this point onwards, she's going to be doing the editing without sitting in on the discussion so I don't know if that's a, a positive or a negative for Amy but we've been very grateful for her presence with us and uh, look forward to speaking next time